WGN Radio. I'm Raleigh James, and a while ago we were talking with Gordon Chang about Li Meng Yan. She is the Chinese virologist who blew the whistle, came here, and had a lot of very interesting things to pass along about exactly how COVID was created. Now, at the time when we were talking with Gordon Chang, who is the author of The Great U.S.-China Tech War, the latest book, but many others as well, we hadn't yet found out what hit the news about 10 days ago, that the Chinese Communist Party arrested her mother. So I said, we got to get Gordon on. we got a lot to talk about. So welcome back, Gordon. Thanks for joining us on WGN. Oh, well, thank you so much, Raleigh. I really appreciate it. Now, what have you heard about Li Meng's mom? Well, as you point out, we we haven't heard very much except that she was detained. Um, And this is not surprising because this is what China does to people. It, It not only goes after them, it goes after relatives because it's supposed to have a deterrent effect. And and it's a whole notion of collective guilt. So it's not a guilt of an individual, it's a guilt of a family. And, And that is very much in connection, and that is very much consistent with Chinese tradition. Yeah, it's, uh, we kind of knew it was going to happen because in the interviews with her, she had left her husband behind and she voiced fear for her family as well. And I think one of the reasons she left the way she did was to hopefully distance herself from them, who clearly, uh, in her mind, knew nothing about this. And uh, yet, inevitably, this has happened. Do we know if her mom is still in captivity? Well, we believe that she is, um, and so, um, you know, we have no news that she's been released. You know, Raleigh, the thing about this is that um, Dr. Yan's work is controversial. A lot of scientists um, say it's bunk, but when China detains family members like this, it gives her legitimacy and credibility, and so this is really counterproductive for the regime um, because they're really not gaining anything. Um, you know, Dr. Yan is going to continue on as she is, and, and now she looks a lot better than she did before. So clearly this is not a move that is going to help uh, China in the long run. I would agree with that, and I didn't doubt her story for a moment. Of course, it, it kind of jived with what I'd been suspecting all along, that this was created in a lab and inadvertently got out, most likely inadvertently. And But the worry for me, as every day on the news we hear more and more about vaccines and all this, and I think Dr. Yan has brought this out, is until we really get the code of what this is, all the scientific efforts are pretty much a waste. Yes, you know, it... The coronavirus is a very strange bug. You know, most viruses like this will disappear during the hot weather of the summer. This one just seemed to pick up steam. And that gives um, Dr. Yan's work um, added credibility. Also, um, since that time, since Dr. Yan left Hong Kong, there's been work by another microbiologist, um, this one, Alvina Chan, at the Broad Institute of MIT and Harvard. And her theory is different, but she also has um, got research which suggests that this is a manufactured virus. And so um, Alvina Chan's work has not been... um, has not been challenged in a way that undermines its credibility. And so really right now we have more and more science pointing in the same direction. Now that's not to say that Dr. Yan's contentions, specific contentions are correct, but it is to say that she's on to something when she says this is not a naturally occurring virus. This was actually made in a lab. Right, and the danger of that, of course, is 
and I should back up and say that labs are continually trying to work out viral codes and stuff like that as they work on vaccines or antivirals. So the concept itself is certainly not eyebrow raising, though there are times when what they're doing is so potentially dangerous if it gets out that some countries, in fact, forbid it. But assuming that the intentions were the best, still most likely this is perhaps a bloodborne contagion spliced with an aerosol and all bets are off with something like that and so that's when i first heard about this that was my greatest concern and then when dr yan came out and talked and now alvina chan and like you say she's going in a different direction but we're still talking about a manufactured bug uh we have no idea how this is going to play in the human body yes that's right and and that's a really critical point that you make um because you know, right now, um, this is just so strange. And, and you know, uh, two out of the four vaccine trials in the U.S. are now halted. Mm-hmm. Um, and that goes to your point about um, can we really have a vaccine in these circumstances? And um, I get the suggestion that China's and Russia's vaccine programs um, are also in trouble. So, um, you know, there's a lot that we're going to learn about all this. And this is really being we're being taken into new territory here. Oh, absolutely. On every on every level. And to think about a vaccine, a being created without the right genetic code and B, it cannot possibly be tested long term if they're talking about bringing it out in the next year. I mean, you know, that's just basic time management alone. You know, we're not going to know what it is three years down the road or, or what have you. So there, there are so many questions about this. Now, the fact that China is working on a vaccine, presumably they have the code. I don't know if Dr. Yan has written on this or whatever, but while they won't release it to anyone else, hopefully, at least in their own research, they're working on something with a basis in fact. Well, yes, you know, and it's very interesting because in, um, you know, the Chinese um, on their Internet come up with all sorts of theories. And one of them is that uh, Beijing actually has the vaccine and hasn't released it yet because they if they released it too fast, everyone would realize that this was part of a biological weapons program. That's sheer conspiracy thinking, but it shows you what people are thinking, because you know, as you pointed out earlier, um, the types of research that China was doing with coronaviruses, these gain-of-function experiments, are exceedingly dangerous, which is the reason why they, they were not done in the U.S. Um, and uh, China's actually talked in public. Uh, there's an article in a scientific journal, Nature, um, from, no- I think it's November 2015, um, which actually talks about uh, China's um, very... A dangerous type of experiments with coronaviruses. Right. And, you know, this is where, again, all the conspiratorialists go to town, but uh, obviously can't be done in America. And then China says, well, the U.S. is to blame. And as they're saying this, I think to myself, well, who did fund the Wuhan lab? How many people in America, maybe Dr. Fauci, were aware of the research that was ongoing? And how many people are not coming forth because they have a dog in the hunt, that they've got something to lose? Yes, well, um, the U.S. did fund this research because it is too dangerous to do in the U.S. Fauci, uh, at some point, is going to have to answer for his relations with China. And so are the French, because the French are the ones who built the Wuhan Institute of Virology, the P4 lab there, the highest level of biosafety. And so there are a number of people outside of China who I'm sure right now 
are not happy about what might come out in the future. And eventually, Raleigh, this stuff will come out because it is so important. Right. And the problem, of course, is while all the seven second sound bites on the news are, you know, cursing this guy or that guy because he didn't wear a mask and, oh, my God, human lives are lying in the balance. What we're talking about, about people who here who may have reason to know exactly what this is, that's truly human carnage. Yes, it is. And uh, basically, Beijing has a couple, two, two issues. One of them is, where did the coronavirus come from? Is it natural? Or was this a man-made bug that got out of the lab accidentally? And then the second question is, um, once this virus started to take hold in the Chinese population, um, China then started to take actions that it knew or should have known would lead to infections and uh, deaths outside of China. So um, there's a whole bunch of questions here which are absolutely critical, and they're not going to go away. China's been very successful in suppressing conversation, but up to now um, is not the end of the story. Eventually, more and more of this will come out. And hopefully that's sooner rather than later, uh, because, you know, obviously time marches on and viruses mutate. Uh, Who knows what's out there now in people versus what was out there in February? Yes. Well, you know, China, um, especially the southern portion of the country, um, is a generator of a lot of diseases uh, of all sorts. And uh, the coronavirus that caused COVID-19 is not the last one. So we're going to see more of them. And indeed, there have been uh, new viruses since COVID-19, um, which are not nearly as contagious or deadly. Um, but nonetheless, um, you know, this, this points to a problem, and that is um, the coronavirus is not the last one we're going to see. Oh, of course not. And uh, clearly this wasn't the first uh, either. But of course, the uh, uh, the possible uh, manufacture of it makes it makes it deadly. Now, is Dr. Yan still working on getting this information out? And I know for a while our Twitter account was suspended, of course, but I understand it's back. So where is she on this? Well, about uh, three weeks ago, um, she released a non-peer-reviewed paper um, with her con- her reasoning why this um, v- virus is not natural. And so now there is debate in the scientific community about whether she got this right or whether she got it wrong. Um, but she is now defending her paper. And as I mentioned, other papers are coming out. Um, there's going to be a vigorous debate in the scientific community. And, you know, the reason why this is important um, is because if you go back about four or five months ago, um, people were saying, oh, you know, um, it, to think that this was manufactured in a lab is, is certainly a conspiracy and, you know, doesn't deserve um, serious discussion. Well, now we're having serious discussion because more and more science is pointing to the possibility of a man-made virus. And so, therefore, right now, um, we are taking a different direction. And this is no longer conspiracy theory. This is um, rigorous scientific debate. Good. And uh, for for that alone, Dr. Yan is to be highly commended because I'm glad that the scientific community isn't dismissing it out of hand for political correctness. And it will have to come out of them because I, I don't think, you know, the Fauci's of the world is not it's not going to come from there. So that's where we are on the virus. And now we'll uh, we'll pick up a headline I saw in a moment. And <laughs> the rare earth metals. China has a lock on this, too. Well, 
And that's because the Trump administration declared a state of emergency on that. And so that's why it came to the forefront. But I've yet to see that discussed or what it means. As I was saying, China doesn't need to attack us. They don't need to try to conquer us by force. We're willingly selling them America piece by piece. I'm Raleigh James. It's WGN Radio. Here comes China, and we are not ready. That's the Delphonics, ready or not, here I come, 1968 on Philly Groove. Got to number 14 on the R&B charts and 35 on the Hot 100. Wilbert Hart, group member of the Delphonics, turns 73 years old today, so happy birthday to Wilbert. His brother William wrote that, along with most of their other hits, along with Tom Bell, and it was their fifth charter in 1968 alone. They started the year out, of course, with the song everybody knows. La La means I love you. Going to number two for four weeks on the R&B charts. We're talking to Gordon G. Chang. He's the author of The Great U.S.-China Tech War, also Losing South Korea, and Nuclear Showdown, North Korea Takes on the World and the Coming Collapse of China. And you can get a link. Well, I've got a link. You can get the book, actually, on Raleigh.net, The Great U.S.-China Tech War. You'll get a great price from Amazon, and it's it's a quick read, and it's worthy of your attention if you're unaware of what's been going on. Gordon lived and worked in China and in Hong Kong for two decades, most recently in Shanghai, and he knows his stuff firsthand. And uh, he's been raising alarms for some time now, but when you start to see headlines like an executive order aimed at the rare earth mineral dearth we have because China has pretty much locked up the supply. It doesn't get more frightening than that. This is the first time, Gordon, that I've actually heard that this problem exists. And when I started to read the extent of it, it was just mind numbing that we let this happen. At some points, had about 90, 95 percent of the world's production of rare earths. Now, these are minerals on the periodic chart. Not all of them are really rare in, the ter- in terms of being scarce, um, but nonetheless, these are critical for um, most electronics. So if you've got a cell phone, you've got some Chinese rare earths there. And China, with a very large portion of the world's um, market, um, has tried to use that um, to punish countries like Japan for geopolitical reasons. So they could certainly do that to us as well. Of course they could. And when I read that, I guess at this point, they account for 80% of total U.S. imports of rare earth compounds, that uh, they could easily do that to us. They, they haven't wanted to flex their muscle yet, but they're certainly in that position. And not only are we sitting ducks, if you ask the average guy, even, even the average guy who was pretty well informed about this, people are completely unaware. Yes. I mean, we've been talking, um, and people are are now aware, fortunately, of um, China's stranglehold on uh, pharmaceuticals and active pharmaceutical um, ingredients. Um, But rare earths doesn't get the same sort of play. But uh, here is another sector where China has um, a near-monopoly position. And we know the Chinese um, have always wanted to use their economic clout in order to obtain geopolitical goals. Now, this, of course, violates their World Trade Organization obligations, but it doesn't really matter. Um, As I mentioned in 2010, the the Chinese 
put a boycott on export of rare earths to Japan. Fortunately, Japan figured out how to deal with China, but nonetheless, this shows you the potential for the mischief-making in China. Right, and it's it's not uh, minuscule products or things that are just luxuries. I mean, we're, we're talking about everything from communication to defense. They could literally cripple us with this, and the fact that we stood by while this is happening, that's where you say to yourself, okay, it's happened. How the hell did it happen? That's absolutely right. You know, we had a series of presidents um, who were sort of going along with just the general feeling that, oh, you know, China is just like us. Um, you know, <laughs> we'll get along, go along. You know, they will integrate into the international system. They'll become benign, um, which I thought was fairy tale stuff. But nonetheless, that's what people in this country believed. And even when they shouldn't have believed it, um, we had a political establishment and a business establishment that didn't change it because they were just making too much money or they were getting too much power or whatever. And so, you know, right now it's good that we are having these conversations about uh, China's position and also about decoupling, as it's called, getting the Chinese economy uh, and the U.S. economy untangled. It may be our last opportunity to do that. So we will continue to talk about this. And at the backdrop of what's going on with this election and what you're hearing about various uh, uh, facets of it, I bet you're not hearing this. And maybe you should think about it, because I think this may be our last opportunity to decouple. So it's worthy of your attention. Get a copy of the great U.S.-China tech war, and that's a great way to start. We'll continue to talk with Gordon G. Chang. I'm Raleigh James. It's WGN Radio. WGN Radio. That's Johnny Bush, Green Snakes on the Ceiling, One Fool on the Stool, 1973 on RCA, 53 on the country charts, it didn't chart pop. One, one of his biggest hits, and he had quite a few, he had over two dozen country charted. A lot of people might not even know who Johnny Bush was. I say was, sadly, because it was reported he died Friday, 85 years old, pneumonia. He wrote Whiskey River, which became a Willie Nelson signature song, and toured with Willie as well as with Ray Price, known as the Country Caruso for his battle but I spared you that. We're talking with Gordon G. Chang and on Twitter at Gordon G. Chang. And you'll uh, you'll get some information you're not easily seeing anywhere else. And Gordon just mentioned something that I'll get to how to undo this if we can. But in terms of where we are politically right now, it is amazing to me that in the backdrop of such national emergency declarations of this, we have Someone like like Joe Biden, for instance, saying he's proud of his relationship with China. Now, I'm not here to get down on Joe for that, because unfortunately, it's common rhetoric, certainly going back to Richard Nixon. But this idea that, Gordon, that that politicians here think that this is hunky-dory is just completely foreign to me. Yeah, it's absolutely dangerous, too, because in China, you have a regime that has identified the United States as its enemy. So, for instance, in May of last year, People's Daily, which is the most authoritative source in China, actually carried a piece that declared a quote-unquote people's war on the United States. So, you know, we've got to understand um, that uh, China's malign intent we Americans are very good at ignoring what our enemies say about us and say, oh, they can't really mean that, or they're not powerful, they can't hurt us. Well, every once in a while, um, we pay dearly for thinking that way. And I have to say, China is much more powerful than Al-Qaeda ever was. 
Oh, of course, of course. And, you know, for a while, uh, certainly in the few decades after World War II, we were we were cognizant of this. You know, we had bans on steel from, from Japan, yes, until it was shaped like a Datsun, and then suddenly it was fine. And little by little, we've allowed things that are just so over the top. You know, you look, you look around your house. As I look around my studio right now, I can see easily seven computers, and they're all different. And every one of them was assembled in China, guaranteed. I don't think you can find one that wasn't, can you? Really difficult. I mean, some are you know, made in Malaysia, but um, you know, for the most part, they are all made in China. Uh, and we got to remember that uh, when they Chinese made chips, even if they're not made by Chinese companies, but you know, Chinese made chips, um, they could very well include some sort of malware in them, um, something that turned them off when Beijing wants to. So um, this is this is important for us to understand where we are in terms of our dependence on China, because it's not just rare earths, it's not just pharmaceuticals, but it's also a lot of assembled electronics. Right, and that that could literally be the the death knell of us. We talked about Huawei the last time we spoke, and of course, there's some heightened awareness to uh, to their tie to the Chinese military and government and everything else. But for the most part, most of us are completely unaware that the guts of any piece of electronic equipment we have is probably assembled, at the very least, in China. Now, you were mentioning uh, we possibly can undo some of this. Now, of course, as I say, uh, you look at this election and and half the politicians running are are saying about how, well, we need to strengthen our relationship with China. And people are going, yeah, that sounds good to me. And (laughs) that's where you really got to wonder. It is one fool on the stool what they're drinking. But it, it seems like it's expedient. Well, you know, maybe something will cost us a little more. But this is this is a critical time. And apart from it costing us more money, how do we disentangle yeah, uh, first of all, we absolutely have to disentangle because although products might cost a little more, you know, we have 220,000 dead Americans um, from a disease that uh, came from China and which Chinese leaders deliberately spread beyond their borders, however the disease started. The way we do this is you get the President of the United States to use his powers under the International Emergency Economic Powers Act of 1977 or even the Trading with the Enemy Act of 1917 um, to force companies to move production off of Chinese soil. Um, You know, China's doing a pretty good job of um, of disentangling the two economies. So, for instance, the Wall Street Journal uh, and other sources reported this week that uh, Beijing has been threatening to take Americans as hostages if the United States continues to um, go after what it calls Chinese scholars, quote-unquote, really basically spies. So um, China is forcing companies out, but we should be pulling them out as well. And we've got the economic tools to do it. And also in most business lines, there will be disruption, but there won't be enormously, um, you know, there won't be a lot of cost to it. We can do this because we absolutely have to do this. Well, I think we do, too. And uh, I, I would hope uh, it appears that Donald Trump, at least, is on the page where he's willing to do this. But looking at other candidates, and again, not just limited to the president, there's people running for office on all different spheres, Senate and everything else. And you have a number of people who part of their platform directly is strengthening the relationship with China. And I say to myself, 
can they possibly be this unaware? What's causing that type of a campaign promise? Yeah, well, there are some candidates who've got very troubling business relationships with China. Um, and it's not just the New York Post allegations about uh, the Biden family, um, but there are other candidates as well. And, and I think the American people need to have a very honest conversation with the people who are running for office, because it seems to me at a very elemental level that anyone on China's payroll should just not be elected to office, um, given the nature of the relationship right now. Do you think we're any closer to people being aware of this and willing to, in fact, uh, stand up for this being an issue? I think so, Raleigh, and the reason is um, the allegations from the New York Post really are extremely disturbing. And I think that it is forcing us to have a conversation about it. I know that China ties of one of the candidates, in, uh, Senate candidates in Arizona, has actually oh. become an issue. Oh, yeah. And um, we're just going to see more and more of this because of China's very uh, dangerous and belligerent behavior. Yeah, that, that's Mark Kelly, the former astronaut who's married to Gabby Giffords. And uh, that race has been highlighted. I've been a little surprised that it doesn't appear that the Republican Party is just sending bucket loads of money into Arizona, because at this point in all the polls, he's ahead. And there are so many pieces of information about his Chinese ties that are verifiable, not, uh, you know, not some uh, you know, late night talk show host crazy claim. I mean, absolute verifiable things. And yet he's still polling so well. Now, of course, I hope that we all get the surprise in, in November on people like him that we got last uh, last election cycle. But but I don't know. I, uh, I I tend to think that they they bring up in their commercial something that people are more aware of, either the threat of you're going to lose your health care or you're going to lose your reproductive rights or whatever uh, people that, you know, people face day to day that I just wonder how much it's resonating, how deadly serious this is. Yeah, well, you know, it's not losing your reproductive rights or your health care. You lose your your country. Well, and that's course. what we're talking about, because China's made it very clear that um, they want to bring down our government. And, you know, Raleigh, um, China has actually been fueling the protests this spring. Um, these are active subversions and act of war. Um, so um, this, this is not some sort of theoretical threat. China is actually trying to bring down our government. Yeah, we we see that. And we also see, of course, elected officials, uh, the AOCs of the world and and others of her ilk who are very vocal about saying we need to bring down America. Their platform is almost that elect me so that I can destroy America. And it's some it somehow resonance resonates with them. But it makes me wonder if they understand China's role in this. It won't be that everything's going to be kumbaya. And I, I say to myself that China loves these people, but why is it Americans don't understand what we're facing? Yeah, I think that because, um, you know, we have this general hazy notion about what China's trying to do, but we're starting to learn specifics. So, for instance, Radio Free Asia reported that an intelligence unit of the People's Liberation Army, China's military, actually based themselves in the now-closed Houston consulate. And there they use big data to identify Americans likely to participate in Antifa and Black Lives Matter protests. And then the Chinese military sent them through TikTok videos on how to riot. So that shows you, you know, and we're going to learn more and more of this 
Um, and, and I think this is just going to enrage Americans. But we need to get the story out because China's been engaging in activities to destabilize the U.S. government. What worries me is it's become partisan. Uh, it's become, uh, you know, Trump versus Biden or whoever the players are at the moment that causes people to say, well, that's not true. It's just politics or or something on that level. And if the Chinese can keep it on that level, they're not going to they're not going to get the, the bulk of people on board to understand what this is. This should be a complete bipartisan issue. You're, you're absolutely right about that. And I am concerned about the partisan divide because, you know, we have. Um, you know, one party right now that is absolutely determined to talk about Russia, when really it's not Russia, Russia, Russia. It's really China, China, China right now, because China is the one that is interfering in our election in a much more significant way than Moscow is. Yeah, Russia is such a question mark for me in terms of how we handle them. When the wall came down and suddenly to most of our eyes, although it was coming for a while, in 1990, I was stunned at that point, since America is always giving bucket loads of aid and everything else to foreign countries, how we didn't dive into that to foster capitalism. It, it's sort of like, here's, here's a point where these people needed it, and we were completely absent, uh, creating a lot of the problems they have, I think, or certainly allowing them to exist. Why do you think we didn't step in when we're stepping in in all sorts of other completely hopeless acts? Well, as Henry Kissinger said, and I don't like quoting Henry Kissinger, his, <laughs> his, his, his um, policy prescriptions on China are absolutely 100% wrong. Yeah. But Kissinger was perceptive um, when the Soviet Union fell. But he said he was worried that the United States was going to take this holiday from history. And he absolutely said at the time, look, history has no plateaus. Um, and, you know, and we Americans just said, oh, you know, this is going to be the end of history, as Francis Fukuyama, um, the noted political scientist, said. Mm -hmm. And, and people actually believe this. So, um, you know, we have ourselves to blame for not taking a, um, the positions you talked about in terms of ensuring that uh, the world would go forward with uh, democracy, representative governance, uh, free market, uh, free markets, and all the rest of it. Yeah, it seemed like such an such an amazing opportunity. And as I say, you know, while I'm not for foreign entanglements, we're or we're doing things all over the world continually. And here's one that could have not only benefited the recipients but benefited us. And it almost was like, oh no, we don't want to set them up to succeed. And it just, it, well, it all makes me wonder. I'm talking to Gordon G. Chang, and the great U.S.-China tech war is the latest, but certainly not the only. You can get links on Raleigh.net, or better yet, just go to Twitter and sign up. You'll start to get a feeling for this, particularly if some of this is new to you, and that's at, at Gordon G. Chang. I'm Raleigh James. It's WGN Radio. WGN Radio. I'm Raleigh James. Those are the parliaments. Yes, plural. Don't be sore at me. 1967 on Revelot. It's the flip side of all your goodies are gone, which actually made it to number 80 on some chart. George Clinton formed that group in Plainfield, New Jersey. And of course, as you probably know, it morphed into Parliament and Funkadelic. But you gotta love that lyric. My anger clouded my judgment and I saw a red flash. Then my mouth wrote a check that my heart couldn't cash. Man, that belongs in the Lyric Hall of Fame. And it is uh, not on like some of the emotion that surrounds uh, what we're doing politically right now, when we literally have a minefield in front of us with regard to China, and you've got a number of people acting like 
we should just embrace them. It's so over the top, and that's why I'm so grateful to Gordon Chang. And you can go to Twitter, Gordon, at Gordon G. Chang. Or you can go to Raleigh.net, R-O-L-L-Y-E dot N-E-T. Get a link to the great U.S.-China tech war, and all the books are on Amazon. And if this is new to you, and even more, if you don't believe that this is serious as a heart attack, this is the time. And... Gordon, if you had to wager, here I am asking you to be a psychic, what's the likelihood that we're actually going to successfully combat this? Um, I, I think that the likelihood is pretty high. And the reason is, and I'll be an optimist here, um, but my feeling is that China will um, overplay its hand, as it normally does. And so it's going to force Americans to confront some pretty ugly realities. So I, I do think that um, we'll we'll try and struggle and not to do the right thing, but eventually we will. Oh, man, I'm counting on that. One of the things that worries me isn't only what China is doing, but what we inadvertently are doing in this country. For instance, we'll have uh, DOJ investigations into companies like Qualcomm and say that they uh, need to be broken up or shouldn't be able to uh, continue. And yet you have, like I said, with Huawei, a division of the military, for God's sakes. Uh, We need to get out of the way for some of our companies who actually can develop something. You know, this is this is like the best example that you can pick. Uh, so, for instance, um, two or three days before uh, the last days of the Obama administration, the Federal Trade Commission brought a suit against Qualcomm. Now, this is based on a notion of uh, that, that Qualcomm was charging too high royalties, and so therefore was in the nature of a tax. This is really novel anti-monopoly law. The reason why this was bad was because um, Qualcomm is America's 5G champion. If Qualcomm fails, so does America's ability to have any sort of role in the communication networks of the future. And by the way, on the first day of Qualcomm's trial, you know who the witnesses were, Raleigh? Uh-oh. They were Lenovo Group, which is Chinese, yeah, of course. and Huawei Technologies. Oh. So this was hideous. And oh. fortunately, the FTC's case has now um, been overturned at the Ninth Circuit. Oh. Um, but nonetheless, this case isn't finished yet. Uh, so this is just really bad government decision-making to go after America's technology leader in order to help Beijing. Precisely. And you know, when, I, when I first heard about this, that's, my heart sank because I thought, and who else is in this game? And, of course, that's one of the reasons they want, went after him, saying, well, you got this monopoly and you're charging too much money, and so we got to stop you. And, you know, here, here's Huawei and Lenovo testifying. It, it's the kind of things that if you wrote about it in a novel, people would say, oh, that's too far-fetched. No one would believe that. And yet here it is. And it didn't get a lot of news coverage from the standpoint of reporting in a way that the average person understood what was hanging in the balance. It, it just seemed more like it was oh, another corporate case. We don't need to worry about that. I, I think the average person is completely unaware of what their role is. Yes, you know, and, and this raises the whole issue um, that a number of administrations have gone uh, to undercut uh, patent protection. If you undercut patent protection, what happens is eventually people stop innovating. And the reason why the American economy has been so strong is because of innovation. Um, so we need to protect uh, what people um, come up with so that they will have the incentive to do it. This is just elemental, and yet we have become stupid at the federal level. 
You know, that's so interesting because, of course, everybody who complains about ridiculously high drug prices and all of that, if they look at how that patent process is, which starts ticking from the point it's manufactured by the time it actually gets to market, if it does get to market, they've got less than a decade to make their money before it's in in the common domain. And, of course, for everything that makes it, there's literally hundreds of uh, candidates' drugs that don't. So that's never brought up when everybody's saying that, uh, you know, the prices are just outrageous. Uh, Maybe they could consider something like lengthening the time that a company has protection on a patent. Yeah, you know, it it just, people don't think about, well, maybe there would be no drugs to start out with. Forget about cost. Um, If people don't have an incentive to innovate, then people aren't going to innovate. We won't have these wonder drugs, and we're all going to be worse off. So, you know, this is not a perfect world. You can't um, take um, drugs or whatever and distribute them for free. The world doesn't work that way. Well, right. When I when I hear candidates who are saying, well, we'll just buy the drugs from foreign countries, I think, no, ultimately, ultimately, the manufacturer of the drugs is going to have to make a profit. And again, they have scant few years, which they can do it exclusively. And they have hundreds, if not thousands of failed candidates that cost a lot of money. Uh, the idea that they're just raping the public is not in line with what the process entails. And yet nobody is talking about, let's look at this process. Maybe we do need to lengthen it to get to get lower costs or to give people relief. What's being suggested, of course, can only result in, you're right, nobody makes the drugs. Yeah, well, look at the uh, four coronavirus vaccines right now. Um, You know, I'm sure that uh, two or three of them are just not going to make it. And so, you know, Johnson & Johnson or AstraZeneca or whatever, they are going to put a lot of money into a big bet, and it may pay off, but it might not pay off. And that's why you have the structure of drug prices being high. Yes, in a sense, it's unfortunate, but it's just the necessary cost of innovation. Oh, absolutely. And of course, with the vaccines, that's kind of the sweet spot because you get protection from lawsuits. And in this case, you get billions of dollars from the government. But still, it's not a walk in the park if it all fails. As usual, the hour went by too quickly. Hopefully we'll do it again, Gordon. Well, thank you so much, Raleigh. I really appreciate it. And I had a blast. Me too. Talk to you soon. All right, the great U.S.-China tech war, Gordon G. Chang. Like I say, that's just the latest. And uh, we'll get into some of the other writings in the future as well.